0: Recording stopped. Recording in progress.
1: Yeah, except that it's um two, I think, Saralea and Yolanda. Hello. Okay. Firstly, uh. Bo to everybody. It's so nice to be back in uh, Beit Shemesh. And uh, Before we start, I just want to make a dedication. Um, this year should be Lezeichen uh, Nishmad Al-Techai Yocheved Bat Eliezer and Shama should have Malia and uh, should always talk about smachot and happy things. Um, in terms of today's shiur, uh, I don't know about you, uh, every time I get to Breshid and Noach, I think as the years go on, and you're supposed to be a, a wiser person than you were 25, 30 years ago, uh, what happens to me is that I just become more and more overwhelmed by this information. Well, how Rabbi Slivkin deals with it, I really don't know, because he's, he's, he's in the Parsha so much. Uh, I, read his, I tried to read the book about creation. It's, it's, it was just too much. It was just so much information, so intense. He's
0: just now got a new collection of-
1: was oh, wonderful! I, I, I haven't got over to the to the <laughs> building yet, but mitzvah shem, mit um, So basically, my uh, <laughs> my feeling about you know starting on Pasha's Noah, uh, let alone Parashas Bereishit, it was with uh, with great trepidation, I have to say. However, however, you know we've got to we've got to make an attempt to try and understand a little bit of what's going on. Um, and what I want to share with you today. Uh, at least the main item is something which uh, I was uh, Zohar many years ago. Uh, I just want to give a little bit of an introduction. I had a teacher that many of you, have, I hope, have heard of called the Now, again, I don't know if anyone in the room knew her or went to her shiurim. Ah, wonderful. Because this this woman was a phenomenon, right? It so upset me, just before I came to Israel, I gave a shiur in Cherry Hill, New, New Jersey, where we live, and there was a young man there from Lakewood who asked me afterwards, he said, the show was wonderful, but who's Nechama Levit? And I got very upset because I said, you need to know who Nechama Levitz was. Uh, he, didn't, he wasn't totally convinced, but I hope he maybe did a bit of research, Google or whatever. Um, and again, why am I talking about Nechama? Because this year is the 25th year since she passed away. She's died in 1997. On the 5th of Nissan, she's buried on Har Manuchot. Um Those who studied with her, she is pr- she was pretty intense. Uh, I had the privilege in 1983. I was in Kolel in, in Mavaser um, The head of the Kolel, Aburi Cohen, uh, went to Shlomo Zamanorba Orba. And he asked him Mishael, he wants to bring the Hamalivids to teach the Kolel guys on a Friday morning there's a whole story with the Kola wives, they wanted to come, and the, the men said something very, pardon me say so, very stupid, that there's got to be mechitzas, and of course, the Chama objected, because it, if the women are behind the mechitzas, she's behind the mechitzas, ridiculous. So in the end of the day, what happened was, that you know, it was a room like this, men on one side, women on the other, it was, it was really a Chavaya. Uh, her Dreshot, what she expected, is that you knew Tanakh, from cover to cover, which of course, for coming from England, was a little bit above, what I could own up to, but, I struggle with it. It was hard, but it was so rewarding. She was a phenomenon. She, uh, uh, again, uh, if you want to find out the story, uh, this book I think is the best one I've come across by Yael Untermann. Some of you may know who Yael is. Uh, I have a feeling something to do with Rabbi Unterman, one of the Untermanns from London. Um, and the, the, uh, the most moving, and I've seen this tombstone, the most moving thing about Nechama, in terms of the memorial to Nechama is the tombstone on the Haram Nuchot, where it says, and I've got a picture of it here. Nechama Levit gives the dates when she was born, when she passed away, and one word, mora. That's it, without embellishments, no psukim, no, you know, references to who knows what. Just one word, mora. She had no children. She was married to um, an elderly uncle. There's a whole story. Can't go into the life history at this point, but there's no question about it, the woman was a phenomenon. She started a correspondence course. I want to talk about the Chama just a little bit because it's just so amazing. She, in the 1940s, she moved to Israel in the 30s after being in Berlin, I think studying at the same time as Rav Soloveitchik. She was there when the Baba Chereba was around that part of the world. Rav Chudna, there was a whole bunch of people who were studying philosophy in Berlin. That's a, that's a discussion for another time. And Mechama after that seemingly came to Eretz Israel. She started off in the Mizrahi Teachers College. I forgot what it's called. Emunah, I think it is, or something like that. Uh, and she started a correspondence course. And there's two beautiful stories about the correspondence course. She used to type out uh, pages of He'arot, um, things on the Parasha, and she asked questions. And in 1942, the the papers ended up apart from sort of all over the world, they ended up in El Alamein. There actually were two British soldiers down there who had heard about this and managed to get hold of the papers. When they came back from El Alamein to Nechama, she opened up the letter and sand fell out. Because it was so sandy over there in the, where they were fighting the Germans that, you know, the paper got full of sand. On the, on the envelope, and I've seen this envelope, it just said the address, Nechama Levitz, Kiryat Moshe, Jerusalem. And all the letters got to her. Imagine, But I suppose the Israeli post service to this day is a mystery. So, you know, it's a, that's another mystery, how the, how the mail actually got to it. But hundreds and hundreds of these tapim, she called them, these pages. Uh, I've got a whole collection at home. Uh, and people are working on them. She died in 97. So we're now talking 25 years. There are a number of scholars in America and in Israel who are still working on her questions because what she did being the quintessential teacher is actually asked all the questions you could ask, but never gave you the answer. It was up to you. Yeah, chad. What's your opinion? And very often, you know, you would say an opinion, and she would disagree. So what? We disagree. You know, I'll respect you. You respect me. And it was it was a it was a learning experience to become a, a Talmud of mechama is was really or talmidah. The, the girls were very lucky. She taught in Machangol Gold and various other places incredible lady uh, my favorite cab story because she was always talking about the cab drivers that she met um, uh, she, she, got, she came in one day it was round about uh, just after Sokol. she said I must tell you what happened so we knew a story was coming she said I got into a cab after Yom Kippur and the poor guy looked as if he'd been up all night right and Yom Kippur you know after the fast you, you rest but this guy no he, was, he, looked, he looked absolutely you know completely exhausted so she said to him, Adonim, ma what's, the, what's your problem? So he, he looked at it and he said, ah, at the So she said, Ken. So he said, I've got a question. And the question is on the haftarah of Sefer Yonah. And she said to me, "Me." she said to the whole class, "Me Ka'amcha Yisrael, where can you get in a cab in anywhere in the world and have a discussion for 20 minutes with the driver about the book of Yonah? And this was, this was her, one of her anecdotes. And she told us what he said, why he couldn't sleep, because it bowled him so much, the guy couldn't sleep all night. And she gave him an answer, made him a happy man. I suppose she gave him a, you know, she might have even seen her for therapy. She could have presented him with a little, a little bill as well. Who knows? I mean, the reality was, Nechama was a phenomenon. When you called her, or when you spoke to her in class or whatever, she insisted you called her Nechama. I, as a, as a good Brit decided this was really not, I was not comfortable about it. So on the first lesson, I said, uh, Dr. Lievitz, and she said, Mize, Mizo, and she looked at me, and I said, Oh, skricha, nechama, and of course, as soon as you said that, broke the ice, and that was the story. I met her the last time, 1994. She used to take teachers into her apartment. Her whole apartment was the size of this room. The whole apartment, broken into three sections, she sat teachers in the main section on benches. It was a bit like when, you know, the, the being back in Europe almost, pre war Europe, I would say. And it was, a, it, was an, it was a Hawaiian experience. She was in her 90s. Her body was frail. Her mind was so sharp, kind of scary. Uh, she knew my wife's family from, from many years. And when I walked in, she immediately recognized who I was. I, I said, Necham, we haven't seen each other for so many years. She said, and she asked me all the questions about the family. A phenomenal person, a phenomenal lady. And in her honor, I want to share with you, uh, she would have hated this intro, by the way. She would not have liked talking about her life. She, wouldn't have talk- she, was, she To her, it was about Lema Torah. And I asked her once, I said, What do you think about, because at that time, the women's were were... They were talking about it, it was happening in London, a bit in America, and she was not interested. She was not a feminist in any way whatsoever. Her attitude was, what we need to do, men, women, regardless, is sit and study, learn Torah. And her standard, her her, her, her model of, of, of Torah study was extraordinary. What has happened over the years, I'm sorry to say, is that those books which were produced by the World Zionist Organization, WZO, those books seem to have disappeared from the bookshelves. I don't know whether you can buy them in the stores anymore. Her, her shiurim, both in Ivrit and then it was translated into English. It's classic. It's not Shabbos afternoon reading. It's not the sort of book you pick up and you want to get a quick idea on the parsha. You've got to study. Nechama is about studying the parsha And it's not about Musa. She was not anti-Musa, but she certainly did not come into the room to give us a, lo- a whole Musa uh, uh, Shmuz, it wasn't what she was about. Her focus was trying and understand what is going on in the parasha. What is the? She would use the word pshat, but her definition of pshat is uh, is is a whole discussion for another time. Um, what we will do today, in the in honor of Nachama, maybe at the end, just I'll add a little bit from uh, Rev Gorin as well because I spoke about him last time. Um, what I will do today is share with you what Nachama has pointed out something extraordinary in a story that we all know. At the end of Parshat Noah, you get this incredible story of the Tower of Bava, Migdal Bave. And again, on the page, uh, I'll go through this page with you in a few minutes, um, because there's a lot of Nechama's comments, and I'm not going to go through all the English stuff. You can take these away with you and read it for yourself, because uh, uh, it's pretty uh, impressive what, she, what, what she's done here. But before we, we uh, uh, get to the page, I just want to read the story very briefly to you. And again, I don't know if any of you have the chumash with you or whatever, but you can listen. Just I'll just tell you the story as it unfolds in the Torah. Then we know the world was one language, whatever that means and uh, there's a very beautiful essay uh, to be read by Rabbi Sachs who uh, did a very interesting analysis of this particular concept uh, again, uh, certainly to be recommended, and people traveled from Kedem, wherever that was, from the east they found a valley and it seems to have been a lot of people, they all came together and I think the story is well known they said to each other let's make bricks we'll we'll put them in a kiln we'll burn them and this will become our stones and we'll have mortar bricks and mortar things that we know to this very day anyone who's who's been involved in building anything in Eretz Israel you know about bricks and mortar very well Um, and it's uh, one of those things The, the, the whole issue of the building of this tower, the bricks and the mortar. I don't know whether, is that going to be a permanent noise?
2: Are we going to be able to maybe...
1: You may have to just close a little bit and then we'll, we'll minimize the rush. Ra- the
0: yes it's the bricks and mortar in practice oh I'm sorry oh that's it uh,
1: maybe maybe that will be good thank you there you go all right, so as we go along, I just again i'm just reading the story out as we all know it what we call the the uh, the, the story of the tower of, of Bava the people said. However, and we know the problem, because they want to build a city, up into the heaven, we'll make for ourselves a name. This is a very significant statement. It's because we don't want to be spread out. The plan was that man should be spread out around the world, to bring civilization, as it were, or whatever you want to call it, to the widest um, uh, plane possible. And these people wanted to go against that plan, and... To live all together. Some have compared it to sort of a communist concept. Whatever you want to say. However, God objects. God came down, as it were, to see what was going on. With all of their unity, look what they're doing. With such a unity, they will come together and they will destroy the world. That's really the, 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 the impression. And therefore, Hashem says, let's spread them out. And we know the story that they were divided by language. All of a sudden, this one spoke French, this one spoke Chinese or whatever languages they had. They didn't have any berlitz at the time, so they couldn't communicate properly. And therefore, it says, Arken, Karashmob, bavel." Why is the place called Babylon? Because the word bavel is connected to the word Bala. God mixed up the languages and that's the whole story. Now, This is a story which, again, demands a certain amount of attention, if we can possibly understand it. And what Nechama did in her analysis is truly remarkable. And I'll give a bit of an intro to that, because I read something just last week. Um, There's a wonderful rabbi, I don't know where he teaches, maybe he lives in Beit Shemesh, I don't know, called Ari Khan. Ari Khan, I think, teaches in Gush Etzion, I'm not sure, in other, other schools. Uh, and he's written some Svarim on Sefer Breshid. And he wrote a piece last week uh, on Pashat Breshid. And he wrote about something which really I found truly frightening. He said that there are certain groups, in, in, uh, especially amongst the young people, I heard about this in the States, where they have withdrawal symptoms every Friday evening through to Saturday evening, that they can't use their cell phones right? Their, uh, their phones are off, and the, the kids really find it more than difficult. And there's a, a, a real problem, there's a very significant issue, um, certainly from the point of view of Shabbos education and Shmirat Shabbat, that's a whole discussion by itself. But Rabbi Khan writes that he said he's heard about a, um, again, one of the startups, I suspect it's, it's probably in Israel, that they're trying to make an app okay, my favorite Hebrew word, applicatia, okay, when I found, came here the first day, I learned that word, applicatia, followed by the, by the phrase SMS, <laughs> except I thought she was saying to me, SOS, and I was wondering, what, what's, your, you know, what, what's the danger, what's going on? They said, no, SMS, SMS, so now I know what that is. Um, and it's just a very scary app, which will facilitate, don't ask me how it works, in terms of Vilchot Shabbat, it will facilitate use of the, uh, the, the cell phone. I, I feel very bad about even mentioning this, but he writes about it. He says it will facilitate it, that it can be used even on Shabbat. How that's going to work, I have no clue. But what Rabbi Khan does say, and I so agree with him, he said he wishes there was an app that would do exactly the opposite. That would, Friday night, sooner Shabbat, you hear the, the siren over here, everything goes off all of the cell phones are cancelled everything is switched off automatically and he says not only on Shabbat, he said during the week during meal times when you should be sitting around talking to your kids, hearing how their day went and we see it all, you see it on the TV shows, you see it on on all the different, we may know this you know. kids are sitting there uh, texting their friends and all this stuff going on even during those family moments which should be for family and not unfortunately what it's become in so many situations and Rabbi Khan is perfectly right but the scary thing is and this is the discussion which I, I want to focus on the whole issue of technology in the end of the day we live in a technological uh, um, framework which uh, as, as we found out we've only been here four and a half months and it seems if you haven't got a smartphone, you can't survive in this country. It is literally as crazy as that. If you do not have the means of receiving messages from the cell phone people, from the bank, from this one, from that one, from the other one, you can't, you, you can't function. And it, it, it just blows my mind. The, 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 I mean, again, maybe we'll call it advancing the, 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 the uh, civilization. The world has moved on. But, there has to be surely a bit of a warning about this. And what I heard about recently, and I remember a few years ago, in New York, in fact in a place called City Field, and I don't know who comes from Manhattan, if you know City Field, uh, it is a, a sports stadium, which is, uh, it even makes a Wembley Stadium look small. And if those of you know Wembley Stadium in London, you know what I mean. It is enormous. It is truly, I don't know how many seats there, maybe 100,000, I don't know what it is and in, in, in about 10 years ago, as soon as the internet became extremely um, widespread in the community, and whatever there was a reaction from uh, rabbonim in Lakewood, particularly Rav Salomon was involved, Gazun, and various other people and they called the meeting, and the meeting was to decry the use of the cell phones and the internet, and uh, in certain cases to even announce that there should be a cherem and Everything went very extreme, and it really was disturbing, and not disturbing in terms of of the feelings about the technology and the downside of it, but it was disturbing in that it was such an extreme reaction. It seems to have been what we call a knee-jerk reaction, as opposed to looking at what the plus side was in terms of technology and what it provides us with, the reaction was this is not for us, let's do away with it. And the, to me, the anomaly was that in the schools, even in the very Haredi schools in New York, and certainly in schools here, all of this technology was already well established in the schools, and the kids were using it on a day-to-day basis. So how can you then come along and say, don't have it when it's all around you, in school and you know, in, your, in your world, etc. And uh, um, this has been an ongoing issue for the last 10, 12 years. Apparently there was another meeting a few months ago, also in New York. Uh, This time it was the ladies as opposed to the guys. uh, We're also told very much the same thing, and it's very disturbing. The reality of technology, whichever technology we are talking about, is that there has to be a, a, a guideline, and we believe we find our guidelines from the Torah. And in the Torah, where do we find a guideline to give us some indication about technology? And this is something extraordinary. Nechama wrote this shiur 40, probably 50 years ago. And in the shiur that she wrote 50 years ago, she maybe gave it as well, but she certainly wrote it down, she makes a reference to technology which is mind-blowing. And what technology she was talking about in those days, maybe the early days of television, I don't know what it was, but it was such a, uh, you know, it was such a fundamental that I want to share it with you because it is quite extraordinary. We're looking for guidelines from the Torah about technology, the dangers, no question about it, but at the same time, the the, the the challenges and possibly also, let's look at the upside as well as the downside. And maybe, like the Ramban, we'll find the Shvilazaam, some sort of golden mean, a way to go through it, and to become, I, I would say, more comfortable with it, Um, the joke is always in my family, when anything goes wrong, uh, call my seven-year-old granddaughter and she'll tell you what to do. I mean, I'm sure many of you have the same experience, but I admit, you know, we're all technically challenged, maybe in the older generation, talk about myself, but we try our best because I think we have to. But let's have a look at this page in front of you, and it's just two-sided, and the, the title here is The Danger of Progress, The Danger of Progress, um... I, I had to uh, quote uh, here, Rav Shlomo By the way, um, I, the story that I didn't finish just before, where it says, uh, where he said, Shlomo Zalman was a very, very wonderful, um, apart from being a great Gaon in Torah. Oh my goodness! Wow, we've got a whole collection. West. Wow. <laughs> Apart from being a phenomenal gaon in Torah, he was also a great balsechah. What happened was that um, the Rosh HaKolol, the kolol that I was learning, uh, wanted to bring the Kham into the kolod to teach, as I mentioned, Friday morning. So he went to ask Shlomo Zama, So Shlomo Zalman's answer was very, was beautiful. He said if you can find anybody better, employ the other person. Very clever he didn't say you're allowed to employ because having a woman teaching the COLA in those days was still relatively controversial as it probably still is I guess it's
0: even worse now believe me even now I'm sure I'm here almost 30 years and I remember when we came from the Colton in the bus even if you sat next to a man okay now you sit next to a man, he gets up and oh oh I it's, I it's totally I, different. I'm I'm sure it was then more cabal
1: than our days. I, I, I appreciate <laughs> that and you know something, I it, it bothered me. That that's a share for another time. Because
0: yeah, yeah. it's a it's a
1: chaval. It's a chaval, it really is. I mean, I am not saying that we have
0: <coughs> that we should sit next to me, but if there's nothing more. it's it,
1: there's there's got as I said, Shvila Sahab, Rambam always <laughs> gotta come back to it. There's gotta be a way through. Uh, I just quoted him from Dina Bromsky, those of you who may have known him from London or have heard of him. Um, and the Chum used to give a radio presentation every Friday afternoon on Arab Shabbat on Reshad Alov, as it as now called I think Kama Reshad or whatever it's called, and somebody asked the Dayan once about this, should you listen to it? And he said in Yiddish and I just quote the Yiddish Zihot Vos Suzogen, which means she's got something to say, which from Dina Bromsky was supreme praise. Because, you know, if he admitted that this, this lady had something to say, and apparently Rabbi Vadya also encouraged his uh, family to listen to this uh, Devar Torah every Friday afternoon, we're talking about something very, very special. What Nechama does on her um, analysis of the, of the Doha, uh, what we call the Dora Palaga, the story of the, of the, of the tower, she starts off by, by giving a kind of review of the destruction of the world. She says, the first, the first uh, um, plan of, of the world failed miserably. And this is the section A on your left-hand side. What was man told to do? You're told to conquer the land, subdue the land. And if she brings she it, she from the Ramban, man was hereby given dominion and power over the earth to do his will to the, uh, with the rest of the Amal creation to build, uproot, plant, mine and uh, um, mine, metal, etc. In other words, to develop the world, to make the world a better place. That was the plan. Of course, unfortunately, what did man do? Uh, he took the creation of iron and made a sword. And what do we read about? We read about a situation. Let's uh, Just to give an example, we have two brothers and what do we hear about? One brother stands up and has an argument with the other one. We're not quite sure what the argument was about. It's not clear and from the Psukim. Many Midrashim talk about it. And instead of Ayah being something which brings uh, a, a higher level of civilization to the world, we, start, we end up with the first murder. And what is going on over there is eventually we get to a situation Look at by the middle of uh, column A. Vatisha haaretz ifnei ha-lukim vatamele aretz the world is filled with terrible violence and we know from the beginning of pasha noah that's it hashem says kates noach you go into the ark everything else wipe out and that's exactly what happened and if you look at section b this is actually from the um, again from pasha noah nishmat ruach hayim everything died the whole the whole world was wiped out and it's, it's drastic, it's more than drastic, it's, it's, it's shocking. However, Noah survives with his family, and he's in this big boat, and the boat comes to rest, and we know the whole story. Now, what is fascinating is that after Noah comes out, and I don't want to talk about, because there's so much to talk about, the, the, the post-flood, the post-diluvian situation, but look at, again, what we've just read from the story of, of Migdal Bala. Chazal said that, that the sons of Noach, for sure, were around at the time of Migdal Bovel. What was going on? And it's fascinating. Again, the Psukim in section C. Let's ask a very simple question. They want to build a tower. Now, where would you want to build a tower from? Do you want to go down into a valley to build a town? Or do you want to go up a mountain to build a tower, which is going to go up to the heavens? It would be higher, obviously. You know, unless your architect is, uh, you know, a very strange person. But sometimes they are. The reality is, you want to go high. You don't want to go low. And where are they building this tower, Babika, In a valley. Very strange, right? Just there's details about the building construction here. Number one, which seem to be superfluous, and number two, which actually seem to be very strange. Not only that, what does it tell us? If back to section C, uh, the fourth line of the Hebrew. Talks about bricks. Okay, so you build with bricks. This is something that we're used to. We burn them, you know, we make the bricks standard sizes. Bricks become the stone. And what they used to use for mortar, the clay is now made specially to hold the bricks together. Watch a bricklayer, and it is quite specialized work. There's no question about it. It's got a straight line and everything that we know. What's going on over here? Which is, again, a question. Why do we need to know all this building construction? What's going on? Why do we need to know about bricks? Why do I need to know about mortar? Why do we need to know about all of this stuff? Why are they building in the valley? What are they doing? What is happening down there? What is going on? And Nechama, in her commentary, she refers to somebody called Beno Jacob. Now, Beno Jacob was an interesting commentator, but not someone that, a book that you would have on your bookshelf. Beno Jacob was, in fact, in Germany, in the, um, I think, uh, certainly the early part of the 20th century, was a very learned, but extremely committed, reform rabbi. Very interesting rabbi. And Nechama had, obviously, a connection with him. And there's been a lot of discussion after Nechama died about her correspondence with Beno Jacob and some people have been writing positively about it, some people not so much. It's a whole discussion. But what she does when she brings from his commentary, it's usually something which is extremely, extremely interesting. And what Beno Jacob does, he said, he asked the question. And I looked this morning, I have the computer um, program, Safaria, which is wonderful. And I looked through all the and trying, trying to find someone who makes this comment. Why do we need to be told about the fact that it was so much building construction, the bricks and the, and the mortar, and why did they build in the valley? Nobody seems to ask the question. Beno Jacob asked the question, and the Chama was absolutely amazed. What did he write? Listen, listen to this paragraph, and it's in front of you. Beno Jacob, on section C, on the right-hand side, in his commentary to Genesis, points out the Torah demonstrates how technical advances freed man from the fetters of natural environment, enabled him to overcome natural difficulties. We don't understand how revolutionary the brick and mortar really was. The brick and mortar, the invention of brick and mortar changed the world. This was, I suppose I'm going to use the, the cliche, the cutting edge, if, if that's the way word to use of technological advancement in the ancient world. Till they invented bricks and mortar, they had to build with stones, and they had to build with a very, very rough building style, and there were obviously holes in the walls, and it wouldn't be, um, you couldn't keep out the the, the rain. They they would have got sick just living in those houses. You know, sometimes you see remnants of these, if you go up north in England. um, uh, Sometimes there are museums, there's a beautiful museum in York, in the north of England where it's got a remnant of a Viking village. And apart from the smells, which are truly remarkable over there, the reality of the, the, uh, the building construction is pretty intense and quite shocking. All of a sudden in the Bible, what do we read about? We read about bricks. We read about mortar. We read about building in a valley. What's going on? And this gentleman, Beno Jacob, makes a fantastic comment. He says that in terms of what these people were doing, they were trying to show that not only have we invented something, but we are in control of the environment, we can change the environment, we can better the environment through our invention. So you'll say to me, Ma what's wrong with that? And that's where the problem starts. What do you do with the invention? Do you make it an invention which is going to better society? Are you going to make it an invention which is going to Increase your ego and your sense of control and achievement, but is this going to be something which is going to improve the world, or eventually destroy the world? And says Beno Jacobin, I just want to quote this to you, again, the fourth line of that paragraph, through his invented genius, man manages even in a lowland region, the building, the tower, in the valley was crazy, if you think about it, but they did it. And this is a sign, wow, we can do this incredible thing. In a plane where there is no natural building material, such as stone. And they were in a place where there's ple- we know in Israel there's plenty of stones around. And the reality is in Babylon the same. And nevertheless, what did they do? They create artificially the brick made from clay. We're even told that Nisrafah has got to be in a kiln, it's got to be burned. Available in the valley, turn it into strong building material through burning. Unbelievable. This is a reference to the element which we today would recognize as technology, the front line of technology, but not the sort of technology that we're talking about with application, the technology of the biblical world in Babylon, which was the invention of the brick. But as a principle, it had the same effect as maybe these things we are getting used to today. The idea that through this technology, through this invention, the world was becoming an easier place, hopefully an easier place to live in, but also a challenging place. What do you do with this technology? Do you make the world better? Or do you say, wow, you know, as, as, as uh, my Roshiva used to always refer to somebody, Moisha Grice. You become Moisheh Grice. You become this great person because you've done this and you've achieved this and you've made it. And you've, you've developed it and all of a sudden your ego fills the Carnegie Hall or in London the Albert Hall. You know, your ego gets so big that all of a sudden everything becomes uh, you and nobody else. And this is what's going on in the Tower of Boga. It's, it's such an insight that it, it, I, when I read this the first time it's mind-blowing. And he writes, look at, this, look at the uh, continuation where it's underlined. Demoralization sets in very quickly. The technical mastery gives rise to overweening pride and self-confidence. I can do this, I can do anything. I can build this, I can build anything. I can make this, I can make anything. And of course, what happens next? We read. Look at it says, and again, I'm sorry this is all in the English, but it's just the way it's sort of uh, printed out here. Uh, The third line, let us build for ourselves a house as a refuge from the rain. That would be a good thing, because we won't get wet. And it'll be dry and hopefully insulated. Or let us build a city for little ones and folds for our flock, which will protect the children and all the rest of it. Or else, what do they do? They do something completely different. Look at the Hebrew on that column on section C. We're going to build a city. It's going to be very tall. tower. Wow. But it's going to be... Moisture Gross. So I'm going to make a name for. We are going to make a name for ourselves, and that's scary. That is frightening. Sorry, you had your hand up. You. It's it's just so. Interesting. Look at this. Look at this paragraph under the Hebrew. Gigantic buildings. I, I think of Manhattan. The first time I was in Manhattan, it's just overwhelming. There's something about this this place where, you know, you're surrounded by, by abnormal buildings wherever you go. And not just tall buildings, but sometimes strange shapes. And stuff. There's a building that's sort of, you know, leaning in one direction. I've forgotten now where it is. All around Midtown. I used to teach in Midtown Manhattan, which is um, where YU has the girls' campus over there. And every time I came out of the college, just looking around, apart from the Empire State Building, which in itself is overwhelming, these buildings are incredible. And I say to myself, yeah, it, this, is, this is an amazing achievement, but at what cost? Have we learned humility from this? Or are we in a situation, or have we started many years ago to be in a situation where it's gone to our heads? And we can literally build anything and everything. And it's, it's incredible. And look, look what he writes here. This is all from Benno Jacob. Gigantic building. Last paragraph on the right hand side. Pyramids. Go back to the pyramids. Marble monuments, impressive squares, have served as the means by which a great dictator has wished to perpetuate and aggrandize his name. Boy, we've seen a ton of those things. Likening himself to a God, overcoming through the feelings of inferiority, and through them trying to uh, transcend the inescapable fact of his mortality. So as I said at the bottom, startups, incredible, skyscrapers, unbelievable. Virtual reality, amazing. The, as an educationalist, all of these things are incredible. They are tools which can literally change uh, people's lives. They really can. And computer technology, everything about what's going on. I'm sitting in front of a computer talking to people, you know, halfway around the world. It's, it's, it's truly amazing. When I was teaching online uh, during COVID in, from the States, it literally was a classroom around the world a girl in Brazil, there was another girl in Italy, there was a girl in Arad, and here I am sitting in New Jersey, and I thought to myself, wow, unbelievable, what incredible technology. But at the same time, we all know the downside. We all know about things which we hear about. It's on the news all the time. All of the dangers, all of the the, the depressing and really depressing uses, which all of this technology has gone into. The, the, the wisdom which should be uh, improving the world is being used never to destroy the world. <coughs> if you just turn over, I just want to show you a little bit more of what, uh, what um, uh, this Sikhar is about. There is an incredible Midrash, and this is the warning which the story gives us. And we all know this, we all know this Midrash, we heard this in the Hebrew school, Many years ago, but listen to it again. It says like this, and it's the paragraph on the uh, left-hand side, the Hebrew. There were like seven steps to get up the tower on the right, and seven steps on the left. You had to climb up to take all the materials up to the next level, and then higher and higher. They took up. The, ta- the 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 bricks on one side and they came down on the other side. In and this is famous if a person fell off the tower, Nebuh, you Samim Lev Nobody as you say in English, batted an island. Nobody nobody cared. In nafal if a brick fell down, you Yoshvim they sat and cried and they said, Oilanu, woe to us! When is the next brick coming up? They focused away from the humanity and focused totally on the technology. And boy, this is the challenge that we face today. With the applications and with all the internet in its positive side. The focus, side, again, being in school and being a, a teacher on Zoom and all these other things, that, to me, is the plus side of focusing not only on the technology, which I always found a little bit challenging at the beginning at least, <coughs> but it focuses on the people. It connects people. You can't get to the shir, at least you hear the shir, and you're part of the tzibor, and it, it's a fantastic thing. But what happens when that technology doesn't focus on the people as much as it focuses on the negative. It's there, unfortunately, to perpetuate, you know, uh, uh, ideas, political ideas, which are so negative, and obviously all the, all the downside in terms of all the, um, uh, um, the the things that we know about the Internet, the pornography, and everything else that comes out of it. It's shocking. And the reality of it is, is again... What has happened is that just as in the Tower of Bava, the same challenge from those days is happening again today. Go back a hundred years ago, and imagine you were sitting there when they discovered the splitting of the atom. And you had Mr. Einstein sitting there, and you had a few other people sitting around. If he was, the, he was sitting there, we're just going to imagine. And imagine the discussion. So one person would sit up and say, this is amazing. This is going to produce energy to heat and... Really feed because you need the energy to cook, it's going to, it's, going to, it's going to save the one. And then along comes a gentleman in the corner, whoever he was, and other scientists, and says, well, I give up. This energy, if it's focused in a different way, you're going to get a Meshuggah coming along in North Korea, and you're going to get another a bunch of crazy people in Iran. And the next thing you know, all of this energy, all of this positivity, is being used to destroy the world. Never. And that is always the challenge of technology. How to focus it in the positive and to keep it away from the negative direction. That, unfortunately, it seems to go in, in so many instances. And this, again, I, if I gave this shir today and said, this is a thought that I read recently in the name of a certain rabbi, whatever, I would say to you, okay, it's, it's important. But this is written by Nechama Levitz in her uh, analysis 50 years ago. I won't call it Neviyut, because the world was changing already at that point, but the insight, the concept, the, the awareness of the challenge of it is incredible. That she wrote about it, it's in the book, and again, look, look what she writes over here. She quotes from Tehillim, and she quotes from Sefer Yishayel, all the different quotations in terms of understanding and being aware of what this story of the Tarah is really about. It's warning us at the beginning of the world, after the flood. The world's not going to be destroyed again. God promises it. But what are we going to make of this beautiful world? Are we going to make it into a really beautiful place? Or are we going to bring technologies into the world which are going to never do exactly the opposite and make it into an ugly place and a destructive place? And we're still living with this challenge to this very day. I want to share with you just something at the end here, which is so beautiful. I um, uh, just want to see where this is on the page. Um, yeah, the Tehillim at the bottom, section E. We read these Tehillim all the time. Section E, which is Tehillim, chapter 2. Right? The Tehillim that... The, we all say Tehillim on a regular basis. What, what, look, look what he says. And again, this is in the English. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing... The kings of the earth stand up and the rulers take counsel together. We know that people get together, United Nations and whatever, against the Lord and against his anointed. The moment the United Nations is debating again whether to criticize Israel for the 4,000th time, the fact that there's a war going on in the Crimea, uh, in, the, in, the, in, um, in Russia, and where the whole thing over there, not a word, not, not, not remotely uh, on their agenda, but Israel always on their agenda. I mean, there's something very perverse with what goes on in that building. Um, I used to work very near there, and uh, I don't know, it just was not my favorite place. Um, so it says, Let us break the bands asunder and cast away their cause. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. At the end of the day, if man becomes so imbued with his own importance, this is a statement of Kfirah. It's denying that there is a God above you, there's a God around you, who is there to give you guidance? Yes, develop the world. Make your application, make your your technology, do it all. If it's going to benefit the world, but do it in a way where it benefits the world, and not when it destroys the world. And if you're going to split the atom, think about the energy in the positive sense, but Chas V'shalo, and look how near we were, I think 1962 for... Those who remember the, uh, the, the, the events, I was very young in school, but I remember doing a practice. This is how naive we were. 1962, when uh, Khrushchev and the whole Bay of Pigs and everything that was going on in Cuba, uh, in London, I was practicing with my class. I was eight years old, practicing how to get under my desk. In case, God forbid, there would be something happening. I mean, as if that was going to help. I mean, it was truly amazing how naive we were what was going on around us in those early days. Today, maybe not so naive. It is what it is. I just want to show you this, this beautiful ending of the, of the Sicha. And she says like this, on the final section on the right-hand side. She says, uh, after and again, this, the quote from Sefer Yishayot, please read it yourselves, because it, it's, it's beautiful. She quotes also from uh, Sefer Tsefania. Um, and again, I'll read it in the English. Only then when there will be an end of idolatry, that is, man's pride which takes advantage of the wisdom implanted in by God in order to turn himself into a deity. Steve Jobs, Jeff Bezos, these people, what do they really think about their mortality, their, their humanity? Are they here to help the world? I hope they see it in that way. I think uh, uh, the head of Microsoft does. say Bill Gates has finally understood that. And has given away billy, probably billions of dollars by now in terms of uh, helping the world around him and 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 But there are so many of them who still see this as a way of self-aggrandizement. Whatever they achieve, whatever they have built, whatever they have done, and this is something which is scary. And of course, the 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 tefillah uh, is. Look at these psukim at the end. Ki az I will turn to the, excuse me, to the people in a pure language, to call in the name of God, to serve God with one consent. If we're coming together to build a Tarah She want to make a name for us, then as we say in England, you're barking up the wrong tree. You're really not going in the right direction, to put it mildly if you're there to create a betterment for the world and the new application will better the world right? making, at, making these things work on Shabbos I'm not sure if that's going to better the world and I'm, I sincerely hope that that doesn't come to fulfillment even though coins uh, to Rabbi Kahn is being, uh, being developed I'm not sure what the, what, what, what's going to happen with that but the bottom line of it is the bottom line of it is that if we understand this and if we put this into our daily lives, so we have to accept technology. But let's, let us understand the dangers. Let us find the shvila Zahar. To go to the extreme and ban it out of our schools, I just don't see that as a way, as as a derek. Because so much of the information that our children need to have access to comes through those channels. It's got to be controlled, of course, but it can't just be thrown out. The computers cannot be chucked out. It's not going to happen. On the other hand, total free access and everything that that involves without control is also asking for enormous problems, particularly from young people who don't have the maturity to handle the machine that they're being given. It's like giving them a bomb kit, and wondering why, you know, the, the nebuch, the, it, can, it can lead to a tragedy. The reality of it is there's got to be a Shvilazah. And that, I would argue, as an educationist, is the challenge of educationists, of people in Chinu, to teach that this is a phenomenal development, but it's got to be done with responsibility, it's got to be handled with care, like, you know, the fireworks on firework night, you can stand back, uh, you've got to light with care, you mustn't go too near the fireworks, that kind of attitude, but to dismiss it, no. I think dismissing it is in, in its way, by making it forbidden fruit, is more dangerous than, than, than anything else find that Shevila Zahav. It's not easy. Not easy. What I'm advocating here, what Nachama was advocating 50 years ago, is not easy. But I think it's the only way forward. Yes, we'll live with it, we'll try and give over that message of responsibility to our children, to our grandchildren and beyond, because they're going to be living with it, we know, for, for, for all their lives. And hopefully with this kind of shiluv, this kind of attitude, this mix, we'll be able not only to live with this technology but to enhance it and to better the world any comments? I feel that was a bit that was like a pitch uh, okay, for, yes, I, hope, please. I
2: wanted to say first of all about the Panama Canal, right? Yes. Chinese people and when the Chinese fell off oh, yeah. because they wanted to build the Panama Canal, so it's happened all the time it happens it all the stopped. time
1: yeah. the, the
2: technology and, uh, and the, the, the great idea.
1: synagogue when it was built in Jerusalem, people fell off the top and were killed terrible thing when we were living in the 80s three people fell off the top now I'm glad to say when not they had, that they fell off the top and they were killed God for, God for God, it was a terrible thing but at least there was a, a, a reaction to that and the safety standards were improved obviously maybe the well, harnesses were not good react it. at but least they
2: didn't react. That's what I'm saying is that it's not new it's, it's not new. It, it, she's made a point but it it's not
1: yeah, and what worries me with, with development is that how focused people are on the technology to the point where people's lives are so controlled by the technology. What about, you know, how you deal with people in the work environment, how you deal with their, their situation in terms of what they're, they're doing to develop this technology? This is a challenge. Of is that think that freedom of
2: choice is the best way, and parents are not uh, uh, important, and therefore of the world that has changed because if you have a very strong family you'll find that they don't have phones. Uh, uh, um, you find schools, there's still schools but don't allow the phones to go home for safety and what have you. But they are. And these I children do accept now, accept it, and they accept it more now than they used to because they, they, they suddenly realise you know, when it was new ten years ago everyone wanted it. Right. But now you'll find children who will say you know, maybe we don't want to smoke and eat
1: anything, or we, we don't want to go on drugs. We don't. They're, they're, very more, they're more clued in. I would, I would say, absolutely agree with you, but when it comes to technology in schools, it's there to stay. I can't yes, see but how but schools are going to divorce from that. There's
2: no reason
0: why they shouldn't have computers. I'm like talking about that, that each child has their own yes, They yeah. don't need to have it. it? Yes. But so I don't believe that yeah. if you yeah. want to affect the caution for it, would be better and then you call, it has a good quality sound. Because I, 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 uh, a few years ago, just before Corona started, I think I switched to, I received from somebody an old smartphone, and I used this because the quality of voice was so much better. Yeah. And I yeah. think that wouldn't be so, so difficult to make a phone the numbers, quality, and it. then we could use the good the phones. And still hear what our children say, and, and that, and that, and that would cover the base. But, but,
1: but that's my that's my point. That that is still in using the technology and yeah. not dismissing it but using yes, it in but a way where we are in control are. of it and not yes. it is in control but, of us but, but
0: we don't have a, I don't have hand. I don't know how to make a phone. I mean I, I, and of course you know how to use it and, and when I have to uh, exchange it because after 4 or 5 years it's no more useless, I mean uh, it, it's hard for us to and yeah. and of course, so the, bus- the business
1: side of things has become very, very severe and the, you know, we know all the dangers and all the problems I don't
2: know whether you're going to keep the smartphones for very long because the government riding.
1: And things are things are you know, changing all the time. Yeah, I think the kosher phones, those smaller phones, they, are they in will, trouble. They're in trouble. And so there's going to have to be a it's new. Still new working.
2: Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Still working. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Work. have yeah. been Threatening that for years, apparently. Yeah. 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 And My children said, "We don't worry, mum. It will still work ten years' time. Think it still works." Yeah. 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 Schools I, in London. Asmonian, boys have
1: got phones, but they put them in a in a thing. The lockers. Yes. And they're not allowed in the classroom. Yeah, yeah. I yes. teach you our well, and, and I think that's gosh. a very important thing that yes. you say to them
2: there's a time in the
1: classroom. Oh, and that's part of our control. We control it, it and not it controls that. You're absolutely right. And that's that part of what we were saying today. What I just want to say again, how amazing it is that this year was written fifty years ago. Sixty years ago. It's an incredible thing. And yeah, there's no question in my mind. Um, apart from all of the 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 difficult subject we spoke about, please when you get a moment, just say hello to Nechama again. Revisit Nechama, read a bit of what she she has written, try and get to know her because it's worth it. It's so worth it. Sorry? That head's gone. Yes, yeah, she was. There's no, a picture of her. She always wore the beret. She wore beret. Beret. Yeah. beret and yeah, No, this... the lady. I no. The this, one I knew very good. She had a head star. No, this was this is
2: uh, she was also very, very clever. Very,
1: very amazing woman.
2: Thank you very much. We look forward to hearing it actually. I
1: appreciate it, thank you. Any questions afterwards I'm happy to discuss, but thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank
2: you.